One of the cool things about our church is there are a variety of um, families and people who desire to adopt children. They're not trying to play the savior. They're not trying to play the hero. But as God has adopted them in Christ, so they feel compelled within themselves to adopt as well. But the process can be very challenging, as some of you are in here right now, and you're going through the process. And it is difficult, and it requires patience, because it is a challenge as you are waiting and trying to figure out what you're supposed to be doing in the meantime. Uh, As I mentioned a few weeks back, my wife and I applied to adopt in Jamaica in 2011, and we are at the tail end of that, and the tail end of it is very, very difficult Um, We are waiting for our eight-year-old son, Daniel, to come here uh, to the States, but we have to wait patiently here. Um, Our our son, Darion, was adopted as well from uh, Chicago Foster Care, and that process took 44 months. Uh, That's a very long and challenging time. But the adoption of our uh, seven-year-old daughter, Mary, it seemed to be the easiest reflecting back, but it was very challenging because it was this time, seven years ago in 2010, my wife and I flew to Ethiopia, and we flew there to meet her for the first time and to go to court. You have to go through court where they have to prove you in their country. So we get over there, you know, a little short flight to Ethiopia, and we get there, show up in court, and we didn't pass. It, some, something didn't work out. The, the paperwork was messed up. So we had to say, bye, little Mary, <laughs> at Christmas time, fly back to the States and wait. And we finally passed court, we heard. And then we had to wait for immigration, the embassy, and everything else to clear. I flew back over there. And when I arrived in Ethiopia, Then I was no longer having trouble with the Ethiopian government. Now I was having trouble with the uh, U.S. government as I'm pleading with them at the embassy to let me take my daughter home. And eventually, we were able to come back in 2011, and now she is a happy seven-year-old in our house, and it sounds like it was no big deal, but it was an absolute mess. Now, during that time, I had this feeling. This is what I felt during the time, and I think many of you can resonate with this, that if I don't work hard and do things just right, then it's all going to fall apart. If I don't submit the exact paperwork, make the timely phone call, or badger the appropriate government official, then it will all fall apart. And you know, there was nothing wrong with trying to make things happen. If at times, I would say that in my heart and in my life, it crossed the line where God was out of the picture, and it turned into self-striving, which expressed itself in this way, if it is going to be, it is up to me. If it is going to be, it is up to me. You see, striving is when you try to pull off life apart from God. It's subtle. It's really subtle. Because hard work and discipline are good, but it can turn into striving. And I think it turns into striving when we we stop praying. We stop trusting God through his word. 
We stop interacting with God's people for the encouragement from his word, and we try to pull off life on our own. If it's going to be, it's up to me. And I'm just wondering, is anybody there right now where you feel like the burden is upon you to make something happen? And if you don't do things just right and strive hard enough, it's all going to fall apart. Not dissing discipline, not dissing hard work, but there is something in your heart that is turned into striving. Let me tell you what's wrong with that theologically. Let me tell you what's, what's wrong with that personally. When you strive, you are distrusting God's sovereignty. When you strive, you are distrusting God's sovereignty. If you feel like it is all up to you to make something happen, then you're saying, God, you're not in control. I am. But the reality, the reality is God is in control. He is sovereign. And he's working out this plan. He has this plan. And he established this plan for you since the foundation of the earth before he created anything. He had this plan for your life. And it was going to go a certain way. And, of course, there's a lot of stuff that comes into play with that. But if you are a believer, we know since the foundation of the earth, God is working for your good and for his glory. And faith in that reality, in his sovereignty, should, ready for this? It should lead to rest. Anybody feel like they're resting right now in God's sovereignty? Anybody filled with anxiety and worry? Your heart and your mind are always racing? Because faith in God's sovereignty should lead to rest. It's just this inner peace that God is in control and not you. And this morning is going to be this perfect time to remind us once again that God is sovereign and in control. You know why? Because he's had this plan that's been unfolding since the foundation of the world and throughout the time, and now it can finally be seen in the events surrounding the birth of Christ. So let's turn back to the book of Matthew this morning. We're in Matthew again. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matt preached through the genealogy of Christ last week. And as we put the two together, we, we can see this unfolding of God's sovereignty as each descendant and generation is leading up to Christ. And as we move to the birth story this morning, the story that you've heard 50 million times, Hopefully, as you hear it this morning, you're going to be amazed of how God's fingerprints are all over this story. Now, I was reading this one scholar that some of you know from Trinity called Grant Osborne. He helped me make the connection to our lives. I'm going to put this quote up for you. This is helpful. The same God who has guided the process of the coming of the Messiah guides the progress of our lives. The same God who has guided the process of the coming of the Messiah, guides the progress of our lives. And I hope by the time we're done, that will just kind of be burned into your heart. 
where you'll cease from striving and rest in God's sovereign control. That's what I want. That's what I want for you as well. All right, a little structure to keep us organized this morning. Uh, we're going to go through this passage. We're going to see the unfolding of God's plan. And we're going to see that God's plan will not be stopped. And we're going to see this submission to God's plan. Now, as we go through this, often when you go through the story, you have the, the characters uh, highlight it, right? We'll do a little bit of that. But mainly, as we go through this passage, I want to look at it in the sense of you see God working. You see his sovereignty. You ready for this? So Matthew chapter 1, let's start with verse 18. Look at it. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Mary and Joseph are, uh, well, they were betrothed, which is more than our engagement. Maybe you've heard this several times before. Uh, during this betrothal period, if one person died, the other person would be considered widowed. And the only way to break off this betrothal was through divorce. It's basically a marriage without the intimacy, and the girl still lived at home. During this time, that the couples would save themselves from marriage. And as we see in our text today, Mary was found to be pregnant. There's no other man involved, as this conception was supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. There was a study that once came out by the, the British Medical Journal about women having a virgin pregnancy, a la the Virgin Mary. The study indicated that 45 of the 7,870 women became pregnant without intimacy or anything medical. In other words, they lied not the case here. This is all God, as the origin of Jesus is divine. This is a work and plan of God as she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph is about to mess everything up. The Messiah is to have his origins in the line of David, which would come through Joseph. Pause for a moment. Uh, how is it going to come through Joseph if Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit? Ever wondered that? I'll tell you at the end. All right. But if Joseph bails out of the picture, then that blows all the prophecies of the line of David. Blows them all. But Joseph doesn't know any better. We are told he is a just and righteous man. He wants to uphold God's law, and if Mary has committed adultery, it was expected that he would divorce her. In fact, he had to divorce her, or it wouldn't look like he stayed pure. But Joseph, he's a compassionate man. He doesn't want to shame her, so he is going to go this more private route of a divorce before a couple of witnesses rather than publicly before a large crowd. 
let's all get together here. Joseph is doing the right thing. He's doing the right thing. He's going to blow the whole plan of God. But in this moment, he is doing the right thing. Now, do you really believe that? That God has established a plan since the foundation of the world to save his people through a Messiah and some dude named Joseph is going to come along and he is going to blow the plan of God to save you. I mean, do you really believe that? The whole royal line of David is going to be blown because this guy, Joseph. You don't believe that, right? That God's plan will not be stopped. I don't think there's anybody in here that thinks Joseph is going to blow it. And yet, when it comes to your life, you're not so sure. Like, God can orchestrate the salvation of the world. He can orchestrate your salvation. But you're not so sure that his sovereign plan for your life is going to work out the way he wants it to. That somehow, something has been messed up or blown along the way. I remember when I was in my 20s. I've told you this story before. In my 20s, I, I took care of my grandmother. It wasn't part of my plan at all. I was in seminaries, working in grad school. I was cranking, and then my grandma got sick, and I got to spend years taking care of her. And I'm like, God, this, there's no way. This is your plan. You call me and you preach your word. I'm taking care of my grandmother. What's going on? And so one night, this kind of hit me, she got sick, and she went to the hospital, and then we were in the ER, and I had tests coming up. I had to study. And so she's lying there in the bed. She's aching. She's in pain. And I'm studying for a test. I got this big, huge notebook. And I just prop it up there on the rail. Prop it up on the rail. And she needs my attention. She needs my love. And I'm, I'm studying theology. Because this is God's plan in this notebook. It is not God's plan in that bed. It's a disruption. It's not part of the plan. God called me to preach, not to care for my grandma. You see, what was going on there is, is I failed to realize that God's plan for my life was not interrupted. But she was a part of that plan. And sometimes when you think that the progress of your life is interrupted... God's sitting back, and he's like, it is right on schedule. And does it feel that way? Something bad happens to you, maybe a rejection. Maybe your career gets all messed up. Someone close to you dies. You have a, a relationship that's broken. You get, you get sick or some dramatic circumstances. Some type of drama is going on in your life. And God pulls back, and he's like, you know what? I'm not morally responsible for what is going on in your life, but God interjects himself on your life by saying he is sovereign, and he is in control, and not everything can be explained from where you sit, but God is sitting back, and he's got a plan. And he's working it out, we know from the word, according to what will be the best for you, and give him glory, and that also includes times of suffering. But do not think that because you're suffering that God is somehow no longer sovereign and in control. He's got a plan and it's on his schedule. All right, well, let's see it here in the text some more. Verse 20 and 21. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. <laughs> this is great. Joseph is trying to figure out, how can I divorce her? But God is not going to allow it. So he intervenes through an angel in a dream. Joseph is specifically addressed, did you see it there, as son of David, highlighting the importance of the royal line. He is told not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife because the conception of the child is of the Holy Spirit. Then, this is very significant, he is told to name the child Jesus, which was a common Greek name of the Hebrew name Joshua. The name means Yahweh saves. What an appropriate name. For Jesus is God who saves. Look at verse 21 again. It says, He will save his people from their sins. God is sovereign in salvation since the beginning of the world. That he will save his people, the chosen and elect Jews and Gentiles. And no one and nothing will hinder God's plan that he has worked out to send his son Jesus Christ through the royal line of David, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for your sins and reconcile you by faith to the Father. It's his plan. And we see Jesus living out his life, fulfilling this plan. So God's plan is unfolding since the foundation of the world. We see it play out in Mary and Joseph's life. And it can't be stopped. God's plan cannot be stopped. Look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. I like that part. Look at that again. All this took place to fulfill. It's not that the events that happened were accidental. It's not the events that happened were coincidental. But God controlled every point to bring about his Messiah. Ever since the foundation of the world, God is working every single event, and he's connecting it. And here we're seeing this, this connecting verse to bring about the Messiah. You see, the events in our text today fulfill what was spoken in the past. Verse 23. Now the prophet Isaiah is quoted. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. All right, tune back in if you've been tuning out. I'm going to tell you something pretty complicated here. See if you can track with this. The context of this verse, all right? The context is Isaiah 7. was a prophecy given to King Ahaz, king of Judah. At the time, Judah was under the threat of attack from two invading kings, and Ahaz feared that his days were numbered. And God used Isaiah to prophesy to Ahaz that this would not happen because a son of David would continually sit on the throne forever. The sign that these kings would not win is that a virgin would give birth to a son and name him Emmanuel, which would show the king that God was surely with us. The virgin in that context is a woman 
who married and naturally gave birth to a son. And when Ahaz saw that a woman he knew gave birth to a son named Emmanuel, then the opposing kings would soon be defeated. So there was an initial fulfillment during Ahaz's time, but God in his sovereign plan was pushing forward with the complete fulfillment of this prophecy in the conception of Jesus. Jesus was supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he did not come as a sign showing that the military victory was certain as in Ahaz's time, but that victory over sin was assured. His symbolic name, Emmanuel, means God with us. Jesus was indeed God with us in the flesh. And God's plan will not be stopped. Now, here's what's cool. We have the entirety of the Bible before us. And and the entirety of the Bible helps us see God's faithfulness. We see the promise in the Old Testament and the fulfillment in, our, in Jesus Christ, right? We can do that often. Go to the Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. We can be encouraged by looking back in the Word of God and, and seeing it fulfilled. But I would say that even in your own life, you can look backwards. You can go back and you say, God, you were faithful back then. And since you were faithful back then, I can trust you to be faithful today. At the time in my 20s when I'm interacting with my grandmother, trying to take care of her, at the time I did not understand what was going on. But now I'll reflect back and I go, wow, God, that was a good plan. After the fact, of course, that was a good plan. That relationship I had with my grandma, she, she, she encouraged me, she strengthened me. I learned about what it means to serve, and it was a great plan, God. And I look back and I say, okay. But now I'm in the present. I'm like, all right, got to trust you that the same God who did the plan back then that was good after the fact, I can trust him going forward. So now we've seen some human element here. We want to see the submission to God's plan. We've seen it unfolding. It can't be stopped. Now let's look at the human response. Verse 24, 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And I know I've been telling you the focus of the passage is, is on the work of God and not man, but, but part of his plan includes these two teenagers, Mary and, and Joseph, and I'm sure they had other expectations and other plans. This is not the way it's supposed to go. But they submitted to God. They got married. Did you you catch that in the text, that they weren't intimate until after the child was born? And here's something really cool. Not only was Joseph a righteous man in his relationship with Mary, but he adopted her son as his son. That's right. Jesus was adopted. Not in the sense that we think of contracts and legal documents, but I was blown away as scholar after scholar kept using the adoption language. 
Because apparently the naming of the child is done by the father. And it's Joseph who calls his name Jesus. And as as the official adoption takes place in the naming. It's through adoption that Jesus officially came under the title Son of David in the line of Joseph. And Joseph's actions indicate a full submission to the sovereign plan of God. And I don't know about you, but that submission piece for me is the hardest part because I'm like, God, can we find a workaround? Can we find another way to go through this? I mean, is anybody else looking for workarounds in life? Like, God, I don't want to go through this. Let's just work around this. Let's, let's think of another plan that's not so difficult. Let's do a workaround. I'll submit to the workaround. I was hanging in with a bunch of young pastors this week, and a friend of mine is a pastor, young dude, in his 30s, young, early 30s, married, a great preacher, man of God, four kids, just found out his wife, early 30s, has MS. And it's affecting her. She's having nightmares, thinking about it all the time. It's affecting her body and her ability. I'm thinking, man, and they're scared. I'd be scared. But they are trusting in the sovereignty of God that he is still in control, that he has not left them, and they are submitting to him and trusting him for the outcome. And I'm just wondering, as you think about your life, think about my life, like where do you need to submit to him today? and rest in his sovereign control. Like, where is that? Like, can you pinpoint that area in your life? Like, all right, in this area, I need to just, okay, God, it's not the way I want it to go. It's not what I'm hoping for. It's, it's terrible. It's hard. I trust you. Because you need to continue to go back to this. Please keep going back to this. God had a plan since the foundation of the world to save his people. God had a plan since the foundation of the world to save you. And God still has a plan to progress your life for your good and for his glory. So don't think, oh, God, you can save me, you can save other people, but that's about it. Once you save me, you leave me, and now I'm on my own to figure it out, to strive, to work hard, to crank it, to pull it off. And if anything disrupts that, God must be out of the picture. No, 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 he's not out of the picture. He's got a plan, he's been working since the foundation of the world. And you can rest. You can rest. I read a story recently. This article, this is a great article. The the title of the article was called, When It's All Up to You. When It's All Up to You. It was about a woman, and she was a physical therapist who was consumed with the therapy of a six-year-old little girl who was the worst case of trauma that she had ever seen. This girl, this little girl, right, she couldn't move 50% of her body, and as, as the therapist tried to work with her, every time she would even touch her, this girl would scream. And the therapist was just really disturbed by the situation. She said she was thinking about it all the time. She was thinking about how to, how to help her, how she was going to fix her. This therapist was filled with worry. She was filled with anxiety on how to fix this girl. And she came to a point where she realized 
that she failed to see that God was in control. And this is what she said. This is so good. I want to repeat it two times. She says, forgetting that he was in control left me trying to exert control over the uncontrollable. Forgetting that he was in control left me trying to exert control over the uncontrollable. She needed to rest in the sovereignty of God. Of course she's going to show up for therapy. Of course she's going to do her job. But there is this sense where we get to in life that, you know what? I'm going to rest in God's control. I cannot fix this. I cannot force this. I have tried. I'm going to seek him, trust him. I'm going to pray. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to be with his people. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to get in the word. I'm going to trust him. And if things don't change circumstantially, I'm still going to trust him. And, and I kept, I, recently I've been saying, man, 2017 was one of the hardest years of my life. I was struck down physically, had some physical problems. But you know what? I feel like 2016 was hard too. And then 2015 was hard as well. And somehow we may think that once 2018 hits, then 2017's left behind, and now things are going to be a lot better. Maybe. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> because things will keep happening that will disrupt our plans. The way we want life to work will disrupt our striving. But you can enter 2018 with some peace and some rest. That God is in control. He's got you. And if he saved you, he's going to progress your life according to his plan, which is for your good and for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would remind your people again that you've not abandoned them. And whatever they're facing now is not an interruption of your plan for their life. <clears throat> and those suffering in their body, we pray for their healing. Those having the aftermath of trauma, we pray for their healing. Those in broken relationships, we pray for reconciliation. Those who are unemployed, we pray for jobs. Those who can't have children, we pray they would have children. We want to continue to pray and ask that you would do things in our life. But at the same time, God, may it not turn into striving. May it not turn into fear. May it not turn into anxiety. May it not turn into worry. May we rest in your sovereign control that you've got a plan. And it's a good one. Even when we don't feel like it at times, it's a good one. Help us to rest that you are continuing to work out this plan even today. In Jesus' name, amen.